All right. I think we are recording. Boom. This is interesting because I am currently on the road and having my equipment with me in an Airstream trailer in the middle of the desert is so much different than having my nice studio set up at the house. And so as I'm uh, talking over the next however long this podcast ends up being, I would just like to first uh, ask for your patience if there is highway noise or if you hear anybody in the background. So literally, I'm I'm in an Airstream trailer. Um and we're kind of like near the highway out in the middle of the desert here in Bryce Canyon, which is really cool. Actually, we're at this resort. Um, I call it a resort because it is kind of fancy. It's a fancier camping that I'm used to, you know, for me, like I think of camping as, uh, well, just, you know, like, let me just lay a tarp or a sleeping bag down on the ground and then just fall asleep. But here it's like, it's like cobblestone walkways and nice manicured landscaping and these beautiful modernized Airstream trailers. And, uh, you know, it's just a, it's a beautiful area and I'm just really excited to be here, but I'll get more into that as to why I'm here now in a little bit. Um, but you know, for those that are listening, this is, uh, less than 24 hours after my completion of the Bryce Canyon ultra marathon. Uh, this race was 50 miles total and I finished up the race. What time is it right now? I finished up the race about 10 hours ago. So my energy is a little bit lower than it normally is. I am a little bit sleep deprived, uh, but my body's still finally starting to come back online after everything that I put it through yesterday. But I wanted to do this now while everything is fresh. And I really just wanted to, uh, to share how amazing of a day that it was. So to give you a little bit of a background, you know, like I said, I w- I'm in Bryce Canyon, Utah right now. And Bryce Canyon National Park is in southwestern Utah. And interestingly, the major feature of the park isn't a canyon like it says in the name, but instead what it is are hundreds, if not thousands of these really rad geological structures called hoodoos. That's H O O D O O hoodoo. Sounds kind of funny, right? They're called hoodoos and they're set in several different natural amphitheaters throughout the entire area. And it's really cool to see these things up close. These hoodoos that I'm telling you about, they're they're like red and orange and white. And they're all these like really tall, narrow, jaggedy kind of pillars of rock that have been formed by, you know, like frost weathering and stream erosion of the river and the lake bed sedimentary rocks over the millennia. And they're these just these beautiful, beautiful things. I mean, as you're going through this area, man, it just feels like I don't know. It just feels like you're on an alien planet. Like it just doesn't seem earthly. It's really cool to see. But the Bryce Canyon area itself was settled by Mormon pioneers in, I think it was like the 1850s, like somewhere right in there in the 1850s. And uh, it was named after a, a guy named Ebenezer Bryce. And he homesteaded that area in 1874, which was really cool. And Congress actually, uh, appointed it a national park, I believe in like 1927, 1928. 
if I can remember right. So it's actually uh, has similar dates, you know, in terms of like Glacier Park, even, you know, in terms of like when it was first um, explored by by uh, by white men and other pioneers and then a similar time that it was actually created and established as a national park too. So pretty cool similarities there. But the course itself runs around the northern half and along the western edge of the plateau that's just outside of the national park boundaries. So we're actually in an area called the Dixie National Forest, but it literally just borders up against the park because you know, obviously you can't have a, a sanctioned race inside of national parks on the trail system itself. You know, some parks allow you to, to have a race on, on like the, the pavements and such like they do in Glacier Park in Montana. But, uh, but we were right on the border here and it's really cool. So every year, um, there's this organization that puts this on, I think they're called vacation races and it's by far the most difficult event that they put on. And they do several, uh, all over Utah from, Bryce Canyon to Zion to, uh, what is that split, uh, split Canyon. There's several different races that they do. Um, and this one is kind of like their bread and butter. It's probably their most popular, you know, and my draw to this race, um, kind of came out of me just like scrolling through Epic trail races in the United States. And I think that I, I kind of Googled something like that, you know, last year at some point, and I just started scrolling around and looking at photos of different really cool ultra marathons that they were doing around the country. And I came across Bryce Canyon and I thought that just looks so rad. I've never seen anything up close like that before, you know, because in, in Montana up in Glacier Park where I'm from, uh, it's so much green and blue and, you know, because of the trees and the water and the skies. And so it was just like such a different uh, a different landscape. And I was just immediately drawn to it. And, you know, there was a ride at Disneyland that was also named after this area too, which is pretty cool. And I'll, I'll get into that in a little bit as well. But, um, you know, like I said, we're on the road right now. Um, this is a, is a pretty special trip for me. Um, because, you know, we're on the road for about two weeks. Uh, I think right now we're probably in day three of the trip. Um, but this is special for me because, you know, like I, I, I posted about the other day, Gabriella, she, uh, you know, she's been working so hard as she's gone back to school to get her teaching degree and to be able to, uh, to teach at a high school level in PE and in Spanish. And, you know, a big part of this trip is because, you know, we just kind of like wanted to celebrate her efforts thus far. You know, she's been doing a really good job. And over the past like eight or nine months, every class she's had, she's never got less than an A. And right now she's riding on a 4.0 GPA and I'm just so proud of her. <laughs> so this is kind of like our, uh, you know, like our celebration in a way as she's kind of in between semesters. So we thought we'd get out on the road, go check some things out. The first stop was, you know, this, this race. And from here we head out to, uh, where we're at now actually, which is at this, uh, really cool resort called stay yonder in Escalante where we'll be for the next few days before finally driving back to Salt Lake city and capping it off with an awesome time at FitCon Utah, which is going to be cool too. So that's kind of like where I, I got like my, my interest in it to begin with was just, yeah, just like wanting to see like a different landscape. And I think that what's really cool about 
running and training or even just being in different landscapes is, well, if I was to give you like the, the runner's explanation of this, you know, when you get into a situation while you're running and, you know, maybe your spirit's a little bit low or you're going through some cramping or whatever it may be, there is an awesome opportunity for you to be able to extract energy and inspiration and uh, all those feel good things from the environment around you. Now, let me give you a perfect example of this. I was looking at ultras, right? I was telling you about that a minute ago. There was an ultra in Arkansas and Oklahoma and Bryce Canyon. And when I started looking at photos of Arkansas and Oklahoma and where these races were held, you know, they didn't inspire me. They, they didn't like the, the photos didn't make me just stop and stare like they did in Bryce Canyon. And I think what's important with this is that when you put yourself in an environment that, you know, kind of like takes your breath away a little bit, or maybe just makes you stop and stare or, or makes you even just slow down. I think that, uh, I think that you're just able to draw like some, I don't know, like this ancient form of, I don't even know what the word is. There's almost like a wisdom to it, you know, because you, you think about like hundreds of years prior to me being on this mountain, there were other people who've come before me. And, and for me, it's like those people lived and died and were buried in these mountains. And, you know, in, in a bit of a roundabout way, here I am now, hundreds of years later, and I'm moving through these mountains just like they did back then. And, and I think that there's wisdom to that. There's inspiration to that. There's, there, there's this feeling of like, there's this feeling of just like knowing that I'm not the first one to move through these hills, to appreciate the scenery and to just like be in the moment that I'm in right now. And I think that for those that are kind of getting into ultra running or just running in general, you know, I, I would just encourage you to look at what inspires you. Look at the landscape, look at the history, find something that is really going to stand out to you and is going to make you want to come back for more. And I think that what has made my uh, career slash hobby or whatever you want to call it in running so successful is that I continually come back to that. And it's just made everything so much funner. So we, uh, let's see, where were we? Oh yeah. So we're on this road trip, right? And we, we get down to Hatch, Utah, which is where the race is. And, you know, <laughs> I kind of didn't really plan out how we were going to, or where we were going to stay while we were out there. In my, because in my head, I'm like, okay, I, I see that all of the, the major hotels in the area are sold out, but you always know, right? Like there's always, there's always like one or two little hotels along the way that aren't on the internet that typically have vacancy. And so that was kind of like my thought, like, let's just go down there. Let's go see what's available. Right. So we get down there and, uh, Matt Vincent and Bonnie Schroeder are already down at the race because, you know, we're, we're doing the same event together. And they were like, oh, why don't you just stay with us? And it was just really cool because I wasn't expecting it, number one. But number two, it was really cool just to, like, be able to just relax the night before and hang out and have dinner together and just sit around in the in the chairs and just talk and laugh and, 
you know, it was like a great pre-race uh, experience. And so it was like me, Gab, Matt, Bonnie, and then their team, which is Brant and Andy. And it was just a really good evening, man. So that was the night before. So now kind of getting into the actual race itself. Um, the next morning, I woke up at 4.30 a.m. Now, the race wasn't until 5.30, but, you know, I like to give myself about an hour. Um, I'm the kind of guy that uh, as soon as the alarm goes off, I typically just jump up out of bed and go. And so 4.30 hit, I jump up, I get out of bed, you know, and I start my day. And any time that I have a race or when I'm getting up early to go for a long run like this, you know, I've got a bit of a ritual. And, you know, I think that what I have kind of like tinkered with and experimented with over the years has kind of led to me um, having a really good day in the mountains. And so as soon as I get up, the first thing that I like to do is, uh, you know, I get up and, um, you know, I just think about like what I'm about to go and do and whether that means that, you know, I lay in bed and just open my eyes or I get out of bed and, and go walk around or do whatever. But I kind of like start thoughtfully uh, planning my day, planning in terms of like just getting my mind right for it, thinking about the task at hand, thinking about what I'm about to undertake, you know, just being grateful for the fact that uh, I even woke up this morning and I get to go out and lace up my shoes and, you know, put on my pack and just move through the mountains because so many people who went to bed last night, you know, were expecting to wake up this morning. And a lot of them didn't. And so I think that there's a lot to be grateful for just in the fact of just being able to to open my eyes today. And then after that, I kind of like to make a little breakfast. And this is all stuff that I've done the night before, you know. So I've prepped my food. I've put it out on the counter. Um, this morning, I had three packs of instant oatmeal, which was roughly about 85 grams of carbohydrates, no protein, um, probably about 20, 21 grams of sugar, which for what I'm about to do is just right. My body really likes oatmeal before a run. Uh, I also like to sometimes throw in eggs that also works well for my stomach, but I think that leaning more towards carbohydrates historically has, has been kind of like what's been best for my body. So I went with some oatmeal this morning. I also had 30 ounces of water with my breakfast as well. And, uh, after I got all my clothes on again, which I've prepared the night before I went into the bathroom and, you know, I just looked myself in the mirror. And for those that listened to last week's episode, uh, you know, I spoke my, my ethos. I spoke my warrior ethos out loud as I'm looking myself in the mirror. I spoke it word for word and every word that I spoke, I leaned into, I believed, I affirmated, if that's even a word. Um, but again, just getting my mind right, preparing my thoughts, getting my body on board with my thoughts, because, you know, we have so many different systems in the body. And if we're not looking at them individually, sometimes, sometimes, uh, you know, it's, we can't get all systems on board at once. And I think that it's important to address them individually. So I address my thoughts. I address my body. I address my digestive system obviously get my number two out of the way, which is interesting to think about because, uh, I've been running for a lot of years now and it's so interesting to me that your body will do everything that it can to help you win. 
you know, like it knew that I'm about to go on this long adventure through the mountains. And it's like, okay, we need to, we need to purge the system right now uh, of anything that isn't going to serve us. And you really don't even have to think about it. So anyhow, got my number two out of the way, had my breakfast, had my water, spoke my ethos, got dressed. And after that, just kind of gave everybody a hug goodbye. By that point, it's about 5.10. Gave everyone a hug and uh, made my way over to the starting line. Had a nice little jog. First time actually jogging in the area, which if you didn't know, Bryce Canyon sits at 7,100 feet. And uh, man, I felt that jog. You know, because in Montana, I'm only at like, I think 3,800 feet of elevation. So I just felt that for sure. So in my head, I'm like, okay, elevation could be a factor today. Heat could also be a factor today because I knew that it was going to be, you know, right around that like 75, 80 degree mark. Water break. So I get over to the finish line and, you know, my start time uh, is 5.30 a.m. Now, at some races, they do what are called rolling starts. And a rolling start typically means that you can start anytime between 5.30 and 6 a.m. It's typically like a 30-minute window from the time that they give. So for me, I actually kind of like a rolling start time because I'm not tied to one specific point. There's typically less stress involved, even though I'm always up early anyways, but it also gives me the chance to, again, really make sure that I've got every system on board. I've got my cardiovascular system on board. I've got my muscular system on board. I've got my circulatory system on board, and I'm doing all of these things through different preparation methods, whether it be dynamic stretching, whether it be just going on like a nice warm-up jog just to get my lungs on point, just to get my stabilizer muscles through my ankles warmed up. You know, so these rolling start times are actually a benefit in a lot of ways. So at the start line, I think it, I think it came to be about 5.41 a.m. is when I finally realized like, I'm good. Let's get this thing started. So, um, Gabriella came and met me at the start line. Of course, she videoed it. You know, she's so sweet. She always does that. Uh, gave Gabriella a kiss, hit the start time on my watch, so I track everything, and uh, took off into the hills. And it was a really beautiful morning. You know, I, I thought that I was going to need my headlamp, um, but the sun actually comes up really fast in that area. And so as soon as it starts to peek over the mountain, it seems like that whole canyon just lights up. So I didn't need my headlamp at all for this first part of the race. And the first eight miles of the race were all uphill. (laughs) I mean, it seemed like as soon as I stepped over the start line, boom, I'm going up. And uh, this was kind of like a gentle awakening to my lungs because, again, I'm at 7,100 feet and climbing. And so um, that was like the one factor that I wasn't really able to train for being in Montana because, you know, Montana right now, it's still, there's still snow everywhere. And I can't even get to those taller peaks in Glacier Park because the road isn't open yet. And so I, I knew going into this that that could be a factor for me. But you know what? I just took it one step at a time one mile at a time. And for those first eight miles of climbing, I think I put on, I'd say probably 4,000 feet of elevation, which is roughly 500 feet per mile, which isn't terrible. Um, 
But what's interesting is I was watching my heart rate. And I like watching heart rate because I know if I look at that, I can manage my effort and I can, I can better manage my pace. And I know for a fact that like my heart rate typically runs, uh, lower, I think than normal. And so as I was climbing those first eight miles, um, you know, my heart rate was right in that like hundred to 110 range, um, which for me in, in that situation is pretty good. I didn't really know what to expect with the elevation. So I was kind of just like going off of, you know, similar runs that I've been on where I've been up higher. Uh, But for those first eight miles, you know, you were kind of just like making your way through this canyon, which is called Proctor Canyon there and making your way up towards the first checkpoint, uh, which was called Blue Fly Aid Station. And, uh, and that was sitting at, I think right about like, like 9,000 feet, something like that. Yeah. Right about 9,000 feet. And, uh, it was beautiful. I mean, you, you start out in this Canyon and as you're making your way up, it starts to turn into this beautiful Ponderosa pine forest, similar to the trees that you would find in Montana, um, dropped into some really beautiful single track and just like some, some beautiful green mountain meadows along the way as well, which I wasn't expecting to see at that high of elevation, because typically when you get into those elevations, the green goes away and it's a lot of like rock, uh, an exposed brush and things like that. You don't really get a lot of greenery, but it was up there and it was just protected in these beautiful little pockets of rich soil where the, where that could grow. And, um, you know, as you're moving through the mountains and you're seeing like all of the different types of landscape in different areas, you kind of get a feel like this is such a, a wild and amazing place for different species and animals and, and different flora to, to thrive, you know, because like, for example, in one area where I'm in these beautiful mountain meadows, I'm seeing all of these beautiful wildflowers, purples, yellows, whites, greens. But then I go another, you know, half mile up the, up the trail and it's barren rock and it's just dry and sandy and you know what I mean? So like there's all of these different ecosystems that, that thrive all in the same area. And to me, that's just really cool. So after that first eight miles coming to blue fly aid station, um, you know, I was feeling really good. I, I felt like at that point, you know, my body was, was warmed up, um, in terms of like how I was feeling, I was, I was at a 10 out of 10, uh, in terms of like my body and how it was feeling. Um, I did have like a little Achilles tightness to it, but I think that was just because of all of the early climbing. But other than that, all systems were a go, you know, this, this race I had planned to have a gel every 30 minutes and to take in about six to eight ounces of water every 30 minutes as well. And I was sticking to that plan for those first eight miles. And then once I got up to that 9,000 feet mark, um, everything kind of changed because I hadn't really had a ton of training in recent years uh, at that elevation. And so instead of like sticking to my water every 30 minutes, I kind of just drank it when I was thirsty. Because what happens is when you get up into those higher elevations, you become dehydrated faster. And so instead of just being really strict, I just kept it loose. If I started to feel my throat was drying out, then I would drink some more water. Another thing that I felt that really helped me was uh, doing more nose breathing than mouth breathing. 
And for probably the first 30 miles of the race, I did this because what happens again, as you're at, at that higher elevation, um, if you're just mouth breathing, you, you tend to dehydrate a lot quicker. And so in order to manage my hydration levels, I did more nose breathing and it actually worked out really well for me. So I got about, I would say like my first 18 miles of the race done by noon, which was pretty much what I was kind of planning on. I, I knew that I wanted to get at least 18 to 20 miles done before it really started to get hot. And my plan was that I'm going to have a drop bag at mile 18. And for those that don't know what a drop bag is, a drop bag is, um, it's just a duffel bag where you could put anything in there that you think that you might need out on the trail. You know, and for me in my drop bag, I, I had some gels, I had some, some solid foods. Um, I had a battery pack. I had some anti-chafing cream. I had a few other little goodies in there as well, but, um, I had my drop bag at mile 18 and in there, um, I got everything that I needed. And then I took my headlamp off and I threw it in my drop bag at mile 18 because I knew I wasn't going to need it anymore. So I thought, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> oh man. Story on that later. But first water break. So I take off from mile 18 and now I'm in the hot part of the day. Now, like the elevation, the temperature was another thing that in Montana, I haven't really been able to train for because, you know, right now I've been running in like 40, 45, 50 degree temperatures. So I knew that the, the temperatures might be a factor. And so I wanted to get at least 20 of those miles done before it got hot. And so that actually kind of worked out well, but miles 18 to 29, they were hot, man. <laughs> it was, they were hot. Now it wasn't as hot as I was expecting it to be. It, it, it didn't really crest that 80 degree mark. Um, but man, it was hot out there. And while there was some coverage through the Ponderosa pines and through some cloud coverage, you know, 80 degrees is still 80 degrees and you feel it for sure. Now, had this been later on in the summer, had I had some extra training in the mountains, say up in Glacier Park in Montana, probably wouldn't have been as big of an issue. But when you haven't trained in the heat, I mean, that can be the great equalizer for you quickly. And it definitely was for me. So I went from running like those first, I would say 18 miles, probably at like a, a 10 to 11 minute pace somewhere in there. I think my pace ended up dropping to like 13, 14 minute miles at that point maybe even 15 because that sun had just, uh, had just started to get to me a little bit. One of the things that I went into this race, knowing that I was going to have to do to manage heat was that I had to manage my body temperature. And so every time I hit an aid station, I would literally just drench myself. I would, I would go up to the water tanks and I would soak my entire shirt. I would wash off my arms. I would wash off my legs. I would wash off my face. And then I would pour a big cup of water over the top of my head because, uh, what happens is it, when you start to sweat and then those sweat, that sweat dries on your skin, you know, it leaves like those like salt all over your body and your skin can't breathe as well when you have dried salts on your body. So, 
there's kind of like a two-fold advantage here. You wash the salts off of you, obviously, to stay a little bit cooler, but that water that you're using also immediately cools off the temperature of your skin, which also cools off the, the system as a whole. So um, there's a lot of benefits to doing that when it's hot out and running. So yeah, 18 to 29, super hot. Uh, managed it well, though, I think, you know, from a mindset standpoint, I went from an A plus at mile 18 to working through like a C plus mindset from miles 18 to 29. You know, I wasn't getting down on the fact that like I'm hot and this sucks or anything like that, but it was more just along the lines of, um, you know, just like managing my, uh, my pace, you know, because I knew that's my pace is important to me. Um, but you know, when you're, when you're super hot, it can just be kind of uncomfortable. You start to chafe a little bit more. Uh, you're not, you're becoming dehydrated quicker. So there's just things that you have to manage at that point. And I noticed that my mindset started to drop a little bit. So I started going through my tools. You know, I talked about this in last week's, um, episode, you know, all the tools in the toolbox to how to redirect your thoughts and energy. And so I started going through my toolbox and I started using some of the things that I discussed and, uh, it actually helped out quite a bit, you know, maybe not from like a, a physical standpoint in terms of like managing my core temperature, but from, you know, the direction of my thoughts. And so that was really helpful for me as well. So I get to mile 29 and this is actually like a a really cool area of the race because I entered what's called Thunder Mountain Trail. Now Thunder Mountain Trail, uh, is, well, hold on water break. Thunder Mountain Trail is actually a four mile stretch that was, uh, modeled after a, well, excuse me, let me say that the other way. Thunder Mountain Trail is an area in this, in this park that, um, Disneyland modeled after one of their rides. So for all of the, the nineties kids, some of the OG Disneyland visitors, if you remember the ride Thunder Mountain, then you'll remember that it looked very similar to photos of Thunder Mountain Trail in Southern Utah. You remember that ride? It was like a roller coaster and you would like go, or, or it was like a roller coaster train and you would like go through the, the mountains and then it had like a big plunge. And, you know, I, th- I think that like, <laughs> I think the, uh, the voice was like, you know, like some old some old miner or something. And he'd say like, this here's the wildest ride in the wilderness (laughs) or something like that. Anyhow, that's what I remember it being. But yeah, so Disneyland modeled their ride after this section of the trail. And it's actually a really scenic, beautiful trail where you get to see a lot of these hoodoos and you're up really high. So the, the views are just amazing up there. And there are a couple of big peaks that surround the area that really just command that whole area. And so it was a really beautiful stretch. And it was at that point at Thunder Mountain Trail where I, I really was able to like shift back to that A plus mindset, because like I mentioned earlier, the landscape is a perfect opportunity for you to draw energy, to draw inspiration. And I realized that once I got up there, things started to shift for me almost instantly because it was just, 
it was just prettier to look at. I was up higher. There was more of a breeze because I wasn't down low in the valley. I could see more. It was beautiful. Like there was just so many different factors that just uh, immediately just made the whole experience better. It was really beautiful. So from there, I I made my way down to uh, the other area where I was meeting Gabriella. And for those that don't know, um, when I'm doing these ultras, Gabriella is, uh, she's like my guiding savior because (laughs) she's my crew. Um, a lot of times it's just her, um, unless we have friends there that are watching the race, but Gabriella will drive to different locations and she'll have supplies ready for me. She'll have a bag of ice. She'll have some whole foods. She'll have, a couple bottles of water, a wet rag to, you know, towel me off with. Uh, Gabriella does so much and is such an important part of how the race ends up going for me, you know, because I think that without having a good support crew, um, I don't know if it can make or break you, but I think that it definitely changes the experience 100%. When you have a good solid crew who knows what you need, who cares about your success, who has your back, all of those things of which Gabrielle does, then it's just a better experience. And I met Gabriella at, uh, at mile 32 at Red Canyon aid station. Uh, we had a little bit of a mix up. (laughs) I think that, I think that that was my fault in communication. I, I should have made sure that she knew exactly where to go. Um, but I think that I ended up giving her the wrong location. And so she drove to that location with no idea why I wasn't there until she figured out that, Oh, I need to be over in this other area. So she powered over to the other area and was like frantically looking for me at this aid station they had come up on. And what's so interesting is I had, I had only been at that aid station for maybe five minutes after Gabrielle has been like frantically driving from point to point before she finally found me. And she was like almost in tears about it. (laughs) And I was, I was kind of like in a little bit of a daze, just kind of wondering like, why are you crying? Like, hi, how are you? And then she kind of explained to me what had happened. But, um, so we had a little bit of a mix up there at this point in the race. It's, it's mile 32. Uh, I'm two hours ahead of schedule. You know, when I, when I say that, I mean that, um, if I look at like projected times, uh, I want to, I want to finish like right around a certain time, you know, it's not the most important thing, but from a schedule standpoint, I was really ahead here. So because we had the mix up, because Gabriella was a little bit frantic, uh, we took some extra time at the aid station. I think I was there probably 45 minutes, which, you know, for most ultra runners, they're probably going to hear this and think like, oh, no. Like people are probably going to think that's crazy because most people probably spend 10 minutes there or so, but you know, I'm ahead of schedule. I'm not out here running this race because you know, my life depends on it. I'm not taking the, the earnings that I make from this, this race to pay my mortgage. I'm out here having fun, man. I'm out here learning about the environment that I'm in. I'm out here learning about my body. I'm out here just, I'm just having a good time, man. I'm out here for a nice run in the mountains. So we took a little bit of extra time, hung out together, laughed about some things. And then I took off from there. And at this point, my phone dies. All right. Now this is important because I was kind of like 
taking some photos of the area as I was going through, doing some check-ins every so often throughout the mileage, which you'll see in an upcoming YouTube video. Um, but my phone dies at mile 32. Now, at this point, I have to go run uh, a five-mile loop, which, by the way, ended up being seven miles. I had to go run a five-mile loop. Unbeknownst to me, this five-mile loop is the most scenic of the entire race. <laughs> of course it is, right? Right when my phone dies and I have no, uh, nothing to, to record any of it. And so <laughs> I get up, you know, to this, to this point about two miles into this loop and everything just explodes. The views, the hoodoos, everything, the blue sky. It was just an amazing sight. And there's two other people that I see this entire loop of seven miles. So I'm literally up there pretty much by myself. And it was amazing. Now, I don't have any photos of this, but I will say not having my phone on me really allowed me to just get super present with the moment. And again, just making that a gratitude mile, even when from a, a mental standpoint, I didn't need it. I wasn't in a low spot. In fact, I'm at an A plus at this point and I'm just, I'm just being real present with everything, you know, and, and just thanking, uh, thanking everything for just having the ability to be here right now, you know, to, to, to be able to have two strong legs that carried me this far in the race and carried me up this thousand foot incline to where I'm now standing, you know, to, to just be thankful that I have two eyes that can see these colors and the landscape and the scenery. And I have, you know, the ability to just be up here right now. I don't know. It was just a really cool moment that I was just able to get really present with and smile about. And then I just continued on back down to where Gabriella was, because remember I said it was a loop. And so she waited for me at this point. And by the time I got back, it was mile 39. And this time we didn't spend as much time together at the aid station before I took off again. But what I found something that is really working well for me in ultra running is this little bit of a concoction that I found to help manage fatigue, um, manage energy, and uh, really just like leave me, leave me feeling really good um, as I take off from an aid station. And so what I found is that when I mix in an entire top ramen, like a, like a cup, cup of ramen, um, the whole food from the noodles and the sodium and everything else in the broth is just what my system needs to like really just restore all levels. It feels so good. Like I'll take off from an aid station. I'm not cramping at all. I'm moving smoothly. My body feels good. My spirits are up. I'm telling you, man, there's something about ramen. I don't know what it is because I would never eat top ramen of any kind outside of a race. But sometimes, man, being in that moment, top ramen is so good. The chicken one is my favorite. So uh, I'd rock a whole cup of chicken. But here's the other thing. Gels, like, like energy gels with 40 milligrams of caffeine. Oh my gosh. What I didn't realize until somebody told me was that caffeine temporarily will mask fatigue. And I didn't really 
understand it until I like started doing a little bit of research on it. And sure enough, man, there's been studies that have been done that shows that low doses of caffeine can, can mass fatigue. And sure enough, it did. So how it affected me was, um, as I would come down these big hills, you know, I, I typically land heel first after a while you would start to notice like a little bit of like pain or fatigue in the heel. Well, I would pop one of those caffeine gels and all of that would go away. And so it was really interesting. So top ramen and energy gels with caffeine at an aid station make a massive difference in, in how you can feel. So maybe give that a try the next time you're on a long run. So after I took off with Gabriella, <clears throat> it is at this point, I would say 6.45, maybe 7 o'clock. You know, I'm at mile 39 right now. So roughly, according to the schedule, I have only 11 miles to go, which, by the way, is not the case because it ended up being longer than that, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, so I take off and I don't have my headlamp. It was my biggest mistake. I forgot to ask Gabriella for my headlamp because remember, I put it in my drop bag at mile 18. So right now I am, I'm working, I'm working against the sun because I know that I need to get as far as I can before the sun starts to set. And so at this point, my body's a plus, my mind is a plus, and I just really like tapped into a whole nother gear at this point because for the next, for, for the rest of the race, there wasn't one low spot that I had. There wasn't one moment where my hamstrings were, were fatigued or my heels were fatigued or nothing. My body was a hundred percent. And this second wind came to me and I was just off to the races, man. And so I just took off and it was really good. My game plan was to power hike the hills and run the flats and downs. And that's exactly what I did. So I get to the last aid station, right? And and this is at mile 50. I think 50 and a half. They lied because this was supposed to be a 50 mile race. But at mile 50 and a half, they're like, oh yeah, the trailhead's two and a half miles that way where the finish line is. And so in my head, I'm like, okay, don't let this derail you. Everything's good. You're, you got this under control. Your body's feeling good. But here's the only thing at this point in the race, uh, it's, it's pitch black, you know, and the sun has been setting for a while. And while my eyes have adjusted to the setting sun, um, now it's pitch black. And now I got two and a half miles that I have to run. I'm in the middle of this Canyon. There's nobody out here. Uh, what the hell am I going to do? My phone is dead. Remember this. I have no battery at this point. So I did the only thing that I could at that point, And I just started running. I started running. <laughs> I started running. I started running in the dark, man. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but it's happened to me a few times. It's like, it's like this primal instinct kind of, takes over in a way because I can't see anything, right? So everything but my sight becomes hyper-focused. I can feel every little thing through my feet. I can hear everything on my left side to my right side, but I can't see anything. But I know where I'm going. 
And it's such a weird, intense feeling if you've never experienced it. And I knew that this trail that I was on had rocks all over it. And I knew that if I wanted to stay on my feet, I was going to need to pick my feet up just a little bit higher than normal, not like a high step, but just a little bit higher than normal so that I didn't like kick one and then trip and and roll down the hill. So man, for that last two miles in the pitch black, I just picked my feet up a little bit more than normal. And I just powered out those last two and a half miles at like a 13 minute mile pace, which at this point in the race, um, was really quick for me, especially cause I couldn't see either. And it was just like this really cool feeling that I don't think I'll ever forget just being in this, in this blackness and then running, having a general idea of where you were supposed to be, but not really knowing at all and just trusting your feet and, and trusting the process and just trusting that the direction that you're headed is where you're supposed to be going. And I think that that was a big takeaway for me from this whole run was just trusting, you know, just, just knowing that you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have all of the tools, the fancy headlamps. You don't have to have the fancy watch. You don't really have to have any of that. You just have to believe in yourself, believe in your training and just believe in your ability to know that you can figure it out and know that there is definitely been people that have come before you that have done the same and been successful, not just from a physical standpoint, but from being able to use that, that like primal instinct that I was talking about, because humans were meant to do amazing things with, with their senses being taken away from them. You know, I was talking about this a few weeks ago, guy running Spartan race in Montana with no legs. Granted, he wasn't running, but he was in his wheelchair dragging his ass up the mountain right alongside me. You know, we, we've been through worse in over the course of mankind. And I think that this was just like a cool realization for me that, you know, I'm capable of this too. So I finish up the race and as I get closer, uh, I start seeing the lights at the finish line and the music and the announcer. And, you know, I hadn't been able to talk to Gabriella in, in like, you know, three hours or whatever it had been. And so I had no idea if she was going to know to be at the finish line. I had, I didn't have any expectation except that I'm going to cross this finish line and I'm going to be done. And I get there and I cross the finish line and man, it's a party waiting for me. It's, it's Gabriella front and center. It's Matt Vincent. It's Bonnie Schroeder. It's, it's their team brand, uh, Brant and Andy. But then I didn't even know, but diesel Dave was there too. And his wife Des, like they had made the trip down as well. And you know, it was just such a cool moment to be able to celebrate with all of my friends right there at the finish line after spending 15, almost 16 hours in the mountains. You know, they were there for me at the end of the day. And that was just a really special moment to to be able to celebrate with all of us together there. <sighs> Man, that race was amazing.
definitely one of my, my favorite runs in the mountains that I've ever had, you know, and I think that for those that have never done it, you know, it could be, it could definitely be one of your top runs as well. So I, I highly recommend it for sure. The Bryce Canyon ultra was incredible, but there were a few, uh, lessons or or key takeaways or whatever you want to call them. You know, I was talking about this a little earlier that there's wisdom in the mountains. There's, there's wisdom there. If you're willing to listen to it, if you're willing to actually like sit there and be with it. And there were a few things that, that I took away from this run. And one of them was a recurring thought that I kept having throughout the entire race. And the thought was this, what if the struggles that I face in the mountains are actually for my benefits? What if instead of like trying to, to conquer the mountain with like force or aggression or whatever, what if instead I just simply ask for safe passage to move through it and then just appreciate whatever obstacle is presented to me? It's like that idea of intention versus expectation. Like if I go into a situation where I may find some kind of hardship or discomfort, you know, which which would present to me a more harmonious outcome? Going in with rigid expectation of how I think it's going to go or setting a clear intention about how I plan to bend and give and move through the challenges as they present themselves. You know, and in this race, I chose the latter. And because of that, it was one of the best experiences that I've ever had in the mountains. You know, I'm so proud of my body and how it responded to the training and, and the load that I've been putting it through over these past few months leading up to this race. I'm just so proud about how it how it handled itself. I mean, all systems were a go pretty much the entire time. It was really great. You know, if I was to, to grade myself here, I probably didn't dip below a C plus the entire race. It was really cool. So that was like the first thing, you know, the, the second thing that I learned from this was that we don't fall to the level of our skills, but that we fall to the levels of our training. And here's what I mean. I think that like throughout my entire life, I've always looked at exercise as training. To me, it's not just like working out. And there's nothing wrong with working out. But to me, it's not just working out. It's not just like slinging weight around the gym just for the sake of doing it. It's not just like going out on a run just to go and do it. It's always been something more to me than that. It's it's like it's intentional work, you know, it's like sharpening the ax to go cut the tree that you're going to later use to heat your house and to keep your family warm. It's like, it's like putting hours and hours of time so that when you get to Bryce Canyon, you know, your legs don't just blow up at mile 35, which I saw a lot of. And so that's why I said that we don't fall to the level of our skills. We fall to the level of our training. I think that to be great at anything, you you really have to be willing to put in those hours, the hours that no one will ever see, the ones that you never post about, the ones where 
you know, you're, you're like dragging yourself to the mountains or the gym or the track or the studio. Because most of the time, the reasons that we fail aren't because we lack the skill sets to be successful, but simply that we, we just didn't put in enough time sharpening the axe. You know, in the last two months of my prep, well, actually three months. Yeah, the last three months of my prep for this race, I was able to add an entirely new gear into my legs. Because for like those last 10, 12 weeks or so, I focused primarily on tempo training, which is, you know, in training, it's meant to be used as a finisher for your long runs or for a race. It's like, uh, it's like training, training to get that second wind, you know, like that second wind that we always think of, like things get low. And then all of a sudden, like we have this new burst of energy, tempo training creates that second wind. But the cool thing is you can draw that second wind whenever you want you can hit that gear whenever you want if you train this way for you know a long enough time and those last 20 miles of the race man i i mean i told you i felt a plus 10 out of 10 all systems go that happened and it's because i did that work in training you know and i i passed probably if i was to guess maybe like 30 people those last 20 miles who were all stuck walking because they didn't have enough gas to, to run and not talking down on them at all, but perhaps if they were to train a little bit differently, they might've experienced a different result. So I think that there's value in that. But the, the last thing here that I think that I took away from this, this run is I talked earlier about the elevation and the heat and not being able to really train for those things. The big takeaway here for me was to control what you can and ignore what you can't, you know, and this is like an age old piece of wisdom, right? But it kept coming up for me. Just control what you can out here, man. You can't tell the sun to, to back off a little bit when it's 80 degrees. You can't tell the mountains to just, you know, reduce their or lower their elevation. You can't do that, man. And you can't get stuck in the headspace of focusing on things that are outside of your control. But we all do this and we all know better, but we still continue to do this, you know? And so if I could just encourage you with anything right now is that perhaps there's something that you've been trying to control that is uncontrollable. Perhaps there's that thing right now in your day-to-day life or in your marriage or in your family or, you know, even in your body that maybe you just can't control. I think that there's power in letting go of those things that you can't because a lot of times they rob us of being present. They rob us of joy they rob us of happiness and they ultimately rob us of, you know, living like a, a, a really incredible life. And I think that as it pertains to the race, you know, when I was able to let go of the heat and the elevation, it was just a better experience because then I could be putting my energy towards something even better myself, my environment, you know, the things that I love, I was able to put that mental energy into the task at hand 
into my legs, into my feet, into my breath. And it was just a, such a better outcome by doing that. So I think that controlling what you can and ignoring what you can't um, can be really valuable for us. We just have to remember to use it <laughs> when it when it comes up. So yeah, that was a man, that was such a good experience. I'm still kind of reeling from this race. I'm still a little bit dehydrated at the moment. I'm still, you know, trying to get my systems all back on board here. Uh, I'm a little sleep deprived still. You know, I think that I've I've probably slept a total of maybe seven hours, um, which, you know, after an event like this typically is still not enough. I tried taking a nap before recording this episode for you and only slept about 10 minutes. Um, but I think that for the next three days, as we kind of relax here uh, in the airstream in the middle of the desert, you know, I'm going to be able to get those systems back on board and get my sleep and get my hydration and my nutrition back up to where I need them to be because I've got a lot of work to do. You know, FitCon's coming up in a few weeks. Um, I got more races on the schedule. I got more runs in Glacier Park on the schedule and just got a lot of good things coming up. So... I just uh, appreciate you for spending some time with me today for, you know, hanging out and appreciate you for your messages and for your tags on the podcast. Um, thank you for all the love and support with this. It really does mean a lot to me. And, you know, as long as you continue to listen, I'll continue to, to put these out. And I hope that you're able to draw something from them that um, really helps to improve the quality of your life in some way or form. And if they do, let me know. Subscribe to the podcast, stick around, hang out. It'll be good. Rustify.